You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. Talking about discipleship. Yeah, so when Pastor Rick says, come up here and I want you to talk about discipleship, I'm going to talk about discipleship. I'm going to mess up with, mess around with the boss. So he, he, went, he went to Matthew chapter 28 last week in verses 18 through 20. So we're just going to read that, okay? Kind of refresh our memories and just we're going to springboard off of that and we're going to jump right into our text, which is going to be in Matthew chapter 16. So if you would also put a marker in Matthew chapter 16, and we'll be going there after this. All right, so all of you guys with your digital Bibles, you all ready to go? All right. All right, let's, uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we uh, devote now this time to you, this is, this is our worship to you, to sit at your feet and to learn from you to open up these scriptures and have your Holy Spirit pour into us. And so this morning, I would appreciate your Holy Spirit pouring into me that everything that is, that is taught this morning and everything that is learned this morning has nothing to do with me but everything to do with your Holy Spirit. So Father, anoint this place and just give us the, the tools that we need to concentrate on what it is you are telling us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 20. Did I say Matthew 28, right? All right, Matthew chapter 28. This is Pastor Rick's text from last week, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And thus, this closes out the book of Matthew with what we call the Great Commission. But there's a couple things that I want to point out before we jump into this, this next phase that we're going to be talking about this morning, and that is, it, it doesn't say to make converts, does it? It says to make disciples. And I know, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it's a little bit nitpicky on words here, okay? But there is such a, there is such a thing as a, as a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? But I want you to also know something here, is that it begins in verse 18 by saying, all authority has been given to me. And the word me is a is capitalized, which means it is talking about Jesus Christ. So all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. And in verse 20, at the end of that, it also says that I am with you to the very end of the age. And so we are sandwiched in between all authority and Christ with us. And so when we go to make disciples of all nations, this is a partnership. This this is a... uh, a relationship that we're going to do this together. Jesus doesn't send you out all by yourself to do this. No, we're doing this together. I'm with you to the very end of the age. And another thing that I'd like you to observe about this 
is, is what I was saying about a relationship is because when you look around and you observe our society today, it's kind of an opinion of mine, but more of an observation. There are a lot of fans of Jesus in the church today. A lot of fans, but not as many followers as you may think. And so that really is kind of the baseline of what we're going to be talking about today. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Because that is exactly what that word means. Disciple means follower. Disciple can also mean a student. A disciple is somebody who is not just a fan of Jesus Christ, but is, but is somebody who, who will, is willing to change your lifestyle and become what God wants you to be, what he intends you to be, and what your destiny is, and that is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. All right, so let's talk about that term disciple once again. All right, so the, the term disciple is what the Christians were referred to in the, in, all through the Gospels. You know, it wasn't until the book of Acts that then in chapter 11, verse 26, that Christians were first referred to, okay, as Christians. But before that, it was always disciple. You said, there were, so anytime the followers of Jesus were referenced in any of the gospel, the word disciple was used every time. So this term came much later for, for what we call the church or the followers of the way at that time. So how many of you through the years have seen these cute little bumper stickers? And I'm not going to pick on you if you happen to have one, okay? <laughs> that says, Jesus is my co-pilot, okay? Have you seen that? We've all seen that, right? Jesus is my co-pilot. Well, theologically, that's really not correct. I mean, if you're, if you're fortunate, maybe you could be a flight attendant or a luggage handler, but I'll guarantee you, Jesus is not your co-pilot, okay? Now, it's, it's, it's cute and everything, and if you have one, I don't mean to offend you, fine, all right? So don't go out scraping it off your car without, you know, oh, I better run out. A couple people are running right now. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. But the, the whole, this whole idea of, of you being somewhat of, an, of his equal or, you know, he's your co-pilot. No, this isn't Jesus take the wheel here. Okay. This is Jesus. You are my Lord. You are my God. And whenever, whenever we see, you know, the, you know, in the scriptures, when somebody is in the presence of God, what do, what do they do? They, 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 they act like they're dead. They fall prostrate. They're, they're, they're tremble in fear. And that is really our attitude to, to be in the presence of the living God, trembling in awesomeness, in awesome fear of the Lord Jesus Christ in our God. So we are going now to the book of Matthew chapter 16. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to be looking at just a few verses there, starting with verse 24 through 27. That is our main passage for the day, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. But before we read that, here's what I would like to say, is that becoming a disciple is something that is going to have to happen in Jesus' terms and not yours. 
Let me say that again. Becoming a disciple of Jesus has to happen in his terms and not our terms. And so this is what this, chat, this verse is all about. This, this little section of scriptures that we're going to be studying is what are Jesus' terms, okay? So let's go ahead and read this, and then we'll go ahead and unpack all this, all right? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in glory, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Amen and amen. And that, of course, is what you would call his terms. So consider this is a contract. We're going to go ahead and we're going to look at this contract and we're going to dissect this, right? Now, this kind of brought me back about 50 years. Okay, so I turned 64 years old on December 31st. New Year's baby, right? Approximately, I'm going to say pretty close to 50 years ago, sitting in English class, I went through a, a horrible, traumatic experience. It was called learning how to diagram a sentence. <laughs> how many of you remember that excruciating exercise? Yes. It was torture. I mean, I mean, here we are having to take a sentence that your teacher gave you, and then you had to go up to the chalkboard in front of God and everybody else and make a total fool of yourself because you had no idea how to diagram a sentence. What's an adjective? What's an adverb? What's a noun? What, what's a verb? You know, what's a participle? <laughs> a conjunction. Thank God for, the, for, you know, for those uh, little videos we had, you know. What was that called? The conjunction junction. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for that. Yeah. Never in my wildest dreams would I realize 64 years later that I would find myself diagramming a sentence in the Word of God. And I never knew that would come in handy. So there is an end game to your torture, all right? There can be good things that happen way back when you were 14 years old. All right, so this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to basically look at Jesus' terms. The first thing that we have to do is we look at verse 24, is he says, Jesus says to his what? His disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, or your ESV says, if anybody would come after me. But this, this word desire kind of like underscores what it is that we are to be like, okay? We have got to want to be his disciples. We're going to have to want to follow after him. We're going to have to understand the importance of righteousness because uh, Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, 
would say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Filled with what? Filled with righteousness, okay? So the, the Beatitudes before that are, you need to understand the condition of your soul. You, you need to mourn for your sin. You need to be penitent for your lifestyle. You need to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. There needs to be desire that is built within you. But more than that, this is something that you don't have to try and look for because God created it inside you already. Because Romans chapter 8 really, uh, really explains that out very carefully. And there's a passage of Romans 8, verse 18 through 22. But at the end of it says, For, for we know that whole, the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now, this present time, even this present time in your lives, that, that if you understand your DNA, your spiritual DNA, God created us or we were born empty. And man has always strived to fill that void that is in each, you know, in each and every one of us with all kinds of things. If you, you know, look at the Bible, look at the book of Ecclesiastes, look at what Solomon did. He tried to fill it with everything. And he was the richest man in the world. Elon Musk didn't even get on the same page as him. On that ledger, Solomon had everything and he tried to fulfill everything all, all the desires in his life with everything else except for what God can fill. And you, many of you probably heard this all through your Christian lives, right? We all have a God-shaped hole in our lives, and that void can only be filled with one thing, and that is God. Everything else is vanity, vanity. It is all vanity. It is all futility, the book of Ecclesiastes. So that desire is already built inside of us. We are born empty. And we have this desire in our lives to be righteous and to hunger after righteousness. But many people, like I said, they miss the mark because it can only be found in Jesus Christ. So we even begin by saying, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And there that word is deny. So what does that exactly mean when you need to deny yourself? See, the last time I ch ch checked, I can't get away from myself. Okay? Because wherever I go, there I am, right? <laughs> now, now all those stupid you know, sayings begin to come back to you, okay? But notice Jesus does not say you must deny things for yourself. I mean, it's okay you want to you leave church this morning and you want to go get an ice cream. That's okay. We're not talking about denying things for yourself. We're talking about denying yourself. You see, to become a part of God's heavenly government, right? To, 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 to have this moniker disciple and be worthy to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to deny yourself, it means something so un-American that I think a lot of us here have a hard time grasping that. And that is we have to now have a declaration of dependence and walk away from the declaration of independence in your life. See, we're, we're born Americans. We have a really hard time with this. 
this, this, this whole notion of giving up, giving up our independence and becoming dependent on anything. Of course, this entitlement generation now is starting to change all of that, right? Yeah, they're looking to be dependent upon something. But we have to declare our dependence on Jesus Christ. So we have to deny exactly who we are and everything we're, that we're all about and to pick up the mind of Christ. And really, every one of these things is a sermon on its own. And we, we go days on this one just alone to put on the mind of Christ. But there's something else that we, you need to understand, and this comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can write this down in your notes. You don't have to go there, but I'm just going to read verse 19 and 20 from that, and it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have heard from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. So that kind of makes it easy, doesn't it? See, you are not your own. As a Christian, now remember what, how we started this out. There's a lot of people who, who have made that declaration, okay, that they want to follow Jesus, and, but they don't really go all the way and to become his disciples. They're not really following and you, you can see it in their lifestyle. They can say and, and, and everything. They, they, they can say a lot of things. But when you watch how they live their lives, it's, it, it pretty much defines who they are. You see, I am a lot of things. I'm a grandpa. I'm a husband. I'm a daddy. Okay, I am a miner. <laughs> I actually work out at a mine out in Lompoc. I am a lot of things, but, but my identity, my identity is I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is how I live my life. Now, I can get all silly here, and I can say to people who really know me well, and I can say, really, no, I, I worship Satan. And they will look at me and say, well, if you worship Satan, you're doing a very bad job of it. Okay, because you are, you know, we are in obedience, our family, our lifestyle. We are subject to Jesus Christ. We are in our obedience to Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 14, and he says, if you love me, you would what? You'd obey my teachings. You would follow my commands, verse 23. Okay, so our, so our demonstration of our love for Jesus Christ is in our lifestyle. So I could never get you to believe that I'm anything else if you get to know me because that defines me. It defines me. That is my lifestyle. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And to do that, you have to understand that he bought you. As believers in Jesus Christ, he bought you. He paid the price. You are not your own. You belong to God. So, so put away self and declare your dependence on Jesus Christ. The next thing I would like to look here is, is when it says in that scripture, it says, uh, take up his cross and follow me. Now, there's a couple things I want to talk about here. I'm going to interchange these. The first thing I want to talk about following him before I talk about take up his cross, okay? I want to talk about our devotion to Jesus Christ and what that costs. You see, it's, 
This, this is kind of where now we are challenged to count the cost of, call, of following Jesus Christ. And for this, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles or in your phones or whatever it is you're doing into John chapter 15. Very important verse that you understand this because, because uh, Jesus is going to be very honest with you right now. He's going to be very honest with you in John chapter 15, verse 18. And we're going to read a few verses here, going through verse 25 here. And it says this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, They would have no sin. I, I read that again. I'm sorry about that. Verse 24. If, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which it is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And that is from Psalm 69, verse, verse 4. So simply put, the disciples should not expect to be treated better than Jesus was treated. Because if they called Jesus himself Satan, how much worse should the disciples of Jesus expect? So Jesus lays it all on the line right there. And let me tell you about, some, about his apostles. Every one of his apostles were executed. And they were executed for Jesus. And the, only, and, and the one that kind of had a little escape clause was John, who we just read. But John survived his execution because they thought he had to be a witch because they put him in a vat of burning oil and he, and he enjoyed it like a sauna. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't burn up. He came out of there and scathed. And so they exiled him to an island called Patmos. And there he, re there he received many, many years later from the day of his execution he received the book of Revelation, which we will be finishing it, the book of Revelation today. But all I'm saying about this is, is God is going to be brutally honest to you. You're going to have to give a lot, up a lot to be a follower of Jesus Christ because the world will hate you, and that's a promise. You know, there's something to be said for our celebrities in this world today, okay? You know, celebrities do get a bad rap. A lot of them do because they mostly are of the world and they want to tell you how to vote. They want to tell you how to live. They want to tell you how to believe. But there are certain celebrities have made a stand for Jesus Christ and they pay. They pay, a, 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 they pay dearly for that. They're basically blacklisted. They're basically trying to be canceled. I mean, just an example, Tony Dungy, who, who is a sportscaster for NBC among all the networks out there, right? NBC, Right? A sportscaster for NBC, he goes and he does a speech for the National Right to Life when they had the march 
you know, to to uh, support uh, to, to to support the right to life movement and Tony Dungy, Tony Dungy as a keynote speaker there. Because of that, there was an outcry that he be fired from NBC Sports because he is anti-abortion. But Tony Dungy has stood fast, and he still retains his job. But just understand that. To make a stand for Jesus Christ, the world will hate you. But on the flip side of that, remember who's the boss? Remember who will never leave you or forsake you? Okay? Nothing could possibly ever happen to John because, there was a, because God had plans for him, just as God has plans for each and every one of you today. So stand firm in the faith that, that who can be against you if God is for you? Stand firm and then be in peace. <coughs> Excuse me. The next thing I want to talk about is taking up his cross, being willing to die. See, this takes it a step further. His terms, right? His terms. First, you, know, you must desire. Second, you deny. Third, you devote yourself, devotion for death. You must be willing to die for Jesus Christ. Let's go back up to Matthew chapter 16 again. I want you to just go up a couple verses there. A couple verses, it says there in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, at that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, but be raised on the third day. Now, I, as I read the, and study the, the, uh, the Gospels, I find it very interesting that the disciples basically couldn't get past that part where Jesus said he was going to be killed. They, didn't, they seemed to forget the part about him being raised on the third day, right? They just, but once Jesus said, I'm going to be killed, they went into shock. They went into shock. They went into denial. And then Jesus had to rebuke Peter because Peter would say, no, 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 that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And then he rebukes Jesus, Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. And he was very strong against Peter because you do not have the mind of Christ. You do not have God's plan as priority in your life, you don't understand it. So get behind me, Satan. So devotion is devotion leads to death. Because we again deny ourselves, be willing to die. Okay? As Romans chapter 12 says, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's his terms. This stuff I'm not making up, right? It's in the scriptures. I keep giving you the scriptures, okay? You are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm, I'm really very happy this morning that I am standing before you as a living sacrifice and not the other way around, 
okay? Although the Bible does teach us that to die is great gain for those who believe in Jesus Christ, but to live is Christ, okay? It doesn't say to live is, is to go do whatever you want, but to live is Christ. Again, his terms. Now, the last thing I want to talk about this morning as far as dissecting this is we look at these scriptures again and going back over to uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, our main text. It says, For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Need you guys to understand something about this world. If you are willing to lose your soul to gain the whole world, what are you going to gain? For what? What are you going to lose your soul for? The book of 2 Peter chapter 10 says, it's all burning up. It's all passing away. There's nothing in this world that is permanent. It's all temporal. In fact, a, a deep dive into the scriptures will help you understand that this is a vapor. It's like, it's like fog. That's what this world is. It's like fog. You, can't, you can see it, but you can't grab it. It just, just dissipates in your hands. The Bible tells us that our lifespan is, you know what your lifespan is according to the scriptures? When you blow out a candle and you see a wisp of smoke come up and it goes away, that's your lifespan. For what? There is nothing here worth losing your soul over because it's all burning away. 2 Peter chapter 10, okay, verse 11 says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you, you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now that's the one you want, the new heaven and the new earth, not the one we're living in now. It will dissolve, it will melt away. All right, now, let's talk about our destiny. Let's talk about our destiny, okay? Being a part of the new heaven and the new earth. And for this, I would like you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Chapter 19. Revelation, chapter 19. And we're going to pick this up in verse 6. I'll give you guys a second to talk, to get there with, in your devices or your Bible. And the reason I want to talk about our destiny right now, because God has future plans for all of you. And as I stated before, you, the safest place you can be, the safest place you can be in his, is in his will. Nothing's happening to you if you're in his will. This world can't do anything to you if you're in his will. The other, 
where we began this message is this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, which makes it very important. The Bible tells us that we, his church, and individually are the bride of Christ. You guys understand that? We're his bride. We're his bride. And let's read that. Chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 6 says, and as, it, and as I heard, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is our destiny. We are joined together with Christ. We are his bride. Well, let, let me give you an, an analogy to go along with this, okay? So, so consider this. A young couple on their wedding day, they walk to an altar. They exchange loving vows in front of church and state and technically are legally wed, right? They went through all the, they went to the courthouse. They got the license. They went to the altar. They are now married. And then the bride, she leaves the church, gets into the limo all by herself, and rides off into the sunset and lives the rest of her life apart from her husband. Is that what you would consider a marriage? You see, this is kind of like a little testimony of mine. When I was 13 years old, the year before I was tortured dissecting sentences, <laughs> I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Wait a minute, let me backtrack. Oh, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's what happened. That explains the next 13 years of my life. Because the next 13 years of my life were a complete disaster. Because I went around and telling everybody that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior, but he was only my Savior because he was not my Lord. Because there was nothing, no, there was nothing in my life, there was no evidence in my life that he was my Lord. Because I was a fan of Jesus, but I was not a follower of Jesus. It wasn't until I was 26 years old that I, but then again, I became a follower of Jesus. So if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ and you are living your life apart from him, not, not even any part of your life, no part of your lifestyle or anything, that nobody could even accuse you. As, as Josh McDowell said, if, if uh, somebody accused you of being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you. There wasn't for me at the time of my life, not even close, okay? So in order for any relationship that you have to prosper, you have to meet halfway. Mm -mm, that's not how this works. You don't meet God halfway. You know, Jesus, did Jesus go halfway for you? 
No, Jesus went all the way for you. You need to go all the way. You need to go all the way with Jesus. And this is how a relationship with you. He went all the way. He died on the cross. He was willing to die for you. You must be willing to die for him. And in fact, he was more than willing to die for you because he demonstrated his love for you by actually dying for you and therefore making a way of eternal life for you so you could have your eternal destiny with God in heaven as the bride of Christ. So let's finish here. I want to talk about book of Revelation again. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. I'm going to be talking about the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea, and I want you guys to keep in mind when we read about the church of Laodicea, I want you to kind of, kind of think about the country we live in right now. I want you to think about the society we live in about right now when we talk about the church of Laodicea. Chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 14. Is everybody there? Everybody's there? All right. See, everybody's there. Okay. These things. Oh, let me start in 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. All of these are titles for Christ. The amen, the faithful, the true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. Verse 15. I know your works that you are neither hot nor that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. For as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come unto him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also came, overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Look real hard at this last verse. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He's talking to the church. He's not out there on the street passing out tracts. He's not out in the bars trying to find the unbeliever here. He's talking to the believer. He's talking to those who are saved. I'm not saying here this morning that I'm more saved than you because I'm a disciple. I'm not saying here this morning that there is a two-tier system to salvation. You're either saved or you're not. What I'm telling you this morning is there's a lot of people who do not understand that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have got to go all the way. You have got to take your vows, your wedding vows seriously as the bride of Christ, and you have to be willing 
to devote your life to Jesus Christ, then you will be his disciple. That's how this works. That, that is how his, that's his terms, all right? So Jesus, is, his word is to the church, the people who have already made, made it to the altar. You've already said yes to salvation, but you haven't said yes to Lord. That's the hard part. It's really hard. I'm not saying here it's easy. It's not like falling off a log because all relationships are hard. We're going to be celebrating 40 years of marriage here pretty soon. That's some tough stuff right there, guys. She deserves medals, lots of medals. She, her uniform should be, look like a five-star general because she has to live with me. It's not, that's not easy. And it's a hard thing, but you know, it's... It, it's going to cost a lot to live for Christ. It will. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying that there's not going to be persecution, but then there will be. I'm not going to say that you will be loved by the world. You won't be loved by the world. According to the world, don't stop trying to be cool and stop trying to fit in to the world because you can't. You won't. They will sniff you out. They will find you out. Your lifestyle will betray you. You can't hide forever. What is that you're doing? You're praying? Oh, you're praying. You're at a restaurant and you're praying. How many people pray, at, pray in restaurants for your meals? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Bring those hands up. Yes. You guys do that. That is a great witness. Those, and 99% and, and out of 100 times, the waiter, if you're praying yet, when your food comes, they will wait. They will wait. And many times they will come and whisper in your ear, that is so cool. We don't see, yeah, they, they love to see that happen. Let it, who has an ear. So back now to our text. Back to Matthew chapter 16. Back to our text. We'll read that last verse again. Verse 27. And, while, and before I read that, can I have the prayer team up here? Pray, and we, and uh, Pastor Rick, are you still here somewhere? I don't know if he's still here. Pastor Ray, oh, he's back there at the tortilla soup already. I was, I was going to say, there's Pastor Rick. There he comes. There's a, there he is, Pastor Rick. See? And the reason I'm glad he's here right now is because if there's people here that need to renew your wedding vows to Jesus Christ right now, there's a pastor right there. He's licensed to do that. The last verse, verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in glory, will come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, and he will reward each according to his works. You see, don't, do you understand here that this scripture here is for the disciples, not for the unbeliever? Because, because our salvation, okay, assures us, okay, this, this blessed assurance we talk about, this salvation assures us that the fires of hell will never lick our feet. Our salvation here is not in question. But our judgment is before the beam of seat of Christ, before the judgment seat of Christ. We will be standing before Christ and we will give an account of our works. What did we do with the grace that God gave us? What did we do with that grace? Did you bury it or did you invest it? 
Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.